Chapter thirty seven of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Izzy Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter thirty seven. Preparations for the ball. How was he to keep faith with the dean? This was Lord George's first trouble after his reconciliation with his brother. The dean was back at the deanery, and Lord George mistrusted his own power of writing such a letter as would be satisfactory on so abstruse a matter. He knew that he should fail in making a good story, even face to face, and that his letter would be worse than spoken words. In intellect he was much inferior to the dean, and was only too conscious of his own inferiority. In this condition of mind he told his story to his wife. She had never even seen the Marquis, and had never quite believed in those ogre qualities which had caused so many groans to Lady Sarah and Lady Susanna. When, therefore, her husband told her that he had made his peace with his brother, she was inclined to rejoice. And Popenjoy is Popenjoy, she said, smiling. I believe he is, with all my heart. And that is to be the end of it, George? You know that I have never been eager for any grandeur. I know it. You have behaved beautifully all along. Oh, I won't boast. Perhaps I ought to have been more ambitious for you. But I hate quarrels, and I shouldn't like to have claimed anything which did not really belong to us. It is all over now. I can't answer for your father. But you and Papa are all one. Your father is very steadfast. He does not know yet that I have seen my brother. I think you might write to him. He ought to know what has taken place. Perhaps he would come up again if he heard that I had been with my brother. Shall I ask him to come here? Certainly. Why should he not come here? There is his room. He can always come if he pleases. So the matter was left, and Mary wrote her letter. It was not very lucid, but it could hardly have been lucid, the writer knowing so few of the details. George has become friends with his brother, she said, and wishes me to tell you. He says that Popenjoy is Popenjoy, and I am very glad. It was such a trouble. George thinks you will come up to town when you hear, and begs you will come here. Do come, Papa. It makes me quite wretched when you go to that horrid hotel. There is such a lot of quarrelling, and it almost seems as if you were going to quarrel with us when you don't come here. Pray, Papa, never, never do that. If I thought you and George weren't friends, it would break my heart. Your room is always ready for you, and if you'll say what day you'll be here, I will get a few people to meet you. The letter was much more occupied with her desire to see her father than with that momentous question on which her father was so zealously intent. Popenjoy is Popenjoy. It was so very easy to assert so much. Lord George would no doubt give way readily, because he disliked the trouble of the contest. But it was not so with the dean. He is no more Popenjoy than I am Popenjoy, said the dean to himself when he read the letter. Yes, he must go up to town again. He must know what had really taken place between the two brothers. That was essential. And he did not doubt that he should get the exact truth from Lord George. But he would not go to Munster Court. There was already a difference of opinion between him and his son-in-law sufficient to make such a sojourn disagreeable. If not disagreeable to himself, he knew that it would be so to Lord George. He was sorry to vex Mary, but Mary's interests were more at his heart than her happiness. It was now the business of his life to make her a marchioness. 
and that business he would follow whether he made himself, her, and others happy or unhappy. He wrote to her, bidding her tell her husband that he would again be in London on a day which he named, but adding that for the present he would prefer going to the hotel. I cannot help it, said Lord George moodily. I have done all I could to make him welcome here. If he chooses to stand off and be stiff, he must do so. At this time Lord George had many things to vex him. Every day he received at his club a letter from Mrs. Houghton, and each letter was a little dagger. He was abused by every epithet, every innuendo, and every accusation familiar to the tongues and pens of the irritated female mind. A stranger reading them would have imagined that he had used all the arts of a Lothario to entrap the unguarded affections of the writer, and then, when successful, had first neglected the lady, and afterwards betrayed her and with every stab so given there was a command expressed that he should come instantly to berkeley square in order that he might receive other and worse gashes at the better convenience of the assailant but as mrs bond's ducks would certainly not have come out of the pond had they fully understood the nature of that lady's invitation so neither did lord george go to berkeley square in obedience to these commands then there came a letter which to him was no longer a little dagger but a great sword a sword making a wound so wide that his life-blood seemed to flow there was no accusation of betrayal in this letter it was simply the broken-hearted wailings of a woman whose love was too strong for her had he not taught her to regard him as the only man in the world whose presence was worth having had he not so wound himself into every recess of her heart as to make life without seeing him insupportable could it be possible that after having done all this he had no regard for her was he so hard so cruel such adamant as to deny her at least a farewell as for herself she was now beyond all fear of consequences she was ready to die if necessary ready to lose all the luxuries of her husband's position rather than never see him again she had a heart she was inclined to doubt whether any one among her acquaintances was so burdened why oh why had she thought so steadfastly of his material interest when he used to kneel at her feet and ask her to be his bride before he had ever seen mary lovelace then this long epistle was brought to an end come to me to-morrow a h destroy this the moment you have read it the last behest he did obey he would put no second letter from this woman in his wife's way he tore the paper into minute fragments and deposited the portions in different places that was easily done but what should be done as to the other behest if he went to berkeley square again would he be able to leave it triumphantly as he had done on his last visit that he did not wish to see her for his own sake he was quite certain but he thought it incumbent on him to go yet once again he did not altogether believe all that story as to her tortured heart looking back at what had passed between them since he had first thought himself to be in love with her he could not remember such a depth of love-making on his part as that which she described in the ordinary way he had proposed to her and had in the ordinary way been rejected since that and since his marriage surely the protestations of affection had come almost exclusively from the lady he thought that it was so and yet was hardly sure if he had got such a hold on her affections as she described certainly then he owed to her some reparation but as he remembered her great head of false hair and her pain and called to mind his wife's description of her he almost protested to himself that she was deceiving him he almost read her rightly nevertheless he would go once more 
He would go and tell her sternly that the thing must come to an end, and that no more letters were to be written. He did go and found Jack de Baron there, and heard Jack discourse enthusiastically about Mrs. Montacute Jones's ball, which was to be celebrated in two or three days from the present time. Then Mrs. Houghton was very careful to ask some question in Lord George's presence as to some special figure dance which was being got up for the occasion. It was a dance newly introduced from Moldavia, and was the most ravishing thing in the way of dancing that had ever yet found its way into this country. Nobody had yet seen it, and it was being kept a profound secret, to be displayed only at Mrs. Montacute Jones's party. It was practiced in secret in her back drawing-room by the eight performers, with the assistance of a couple of most trustworthy hired musicians, whom that liberal old lady Mrs. Montacute Jones supplied, so that the rehearsals might make the performers perfect for the grand night. This was the story as told with great interest by Mrs. Houghton, who seemed for the occasion almost to have recovered from her heart complaint. That, however, was necessarily kept in abeyance during Jack's presence. Jack, though he had been enthusiastic about Mrs. Jones and her ball before Lord George's arrival, and though he had continued to talk freely up to a certain point, suddenly became reticent as to the great Moldavian dance. But Mrs. Houghton would not be reticent. She declared the four couple who had been selected as performers to be the happy fortunate ones of the season. Mrs. Montacute Jones was a nasty old woman for not having asked her. Of course there was a difficulty, but there might have been two sets. And Jack is such a false loon, she said to Lord George, that he won't show me one of the figures. Are you going to dance it? asked Lord George. I fancy I'm to be one of the team. He is to dance with Mary, said Mrs. Houghton. Then Lord George thought he understood the young man's reticence, and he was once again very wretched. There came that cloud upon his brow which never sat there without being visible to all who were in the company. No man told the tale of his own feelings so plainly as he did, and Mrs. Houghton, though declaring herself to be ignorant of the figure, had described the dance as a farrago of polkas, waltzes, and gallops, so that the thing might be supposed to be a fast rapturous whirl from the beginning to the end and his wife was going through this indecent exhibition at Mrs. Montacute Jones's ball with Captain de Baron after all that he had said. "'You are quite wrong in your ideas about the dance,' said Jack to his cousin. "'It is the quietest thing out, almost as grave as a minuet. It's very pretty, but people here will find it too slow.' It may be doubted whether he did much good by this explanation. Lord George thought that he was lying, though he had almost thought before that Mrs. Houghton was lying on the other side. But it was true at any rate that after all that had passed a special arrangement had been made for his wife to dance with Jack de Baron, and then his wife had been called by implication one of the team. Jack got up to go, but before he left the room Aunt Ju was there, and then that sinful old woman Mrs. Montacute Jones herself. "'My dear,' she said in answer to a question from Mrs. Houghton about the dance, "'I am not going to tell anybody anything about it. I don't know why it should have been talked of.' Four couple of good-looking young people are going to amuse themselves, and I have no doubt that those who look on will be very much gratified. Oh, that his wife, that Lady Mary Germain, should be talked of as one of four couple of good-looking young people, and that she should be about to dance with Jack de Baron in order that strangers might be gratified by looking at her. It was manifest that nothing special could be said to Mrs. Houghton on that occasion, as one person came after another. She looked all the while perfectly disembarrassed. Nobody could have imagined that she was in the presence of the man whose love was all the world to her. When he got up to take his leave, she parted from him as though he were no more to her than he ought to have been. 
and indeed he too had for the time been freed from the flurry of his affair with mrs houghton by the other flurry occasioned by the moldavian dance the new dance was called he had been told the kappa kappa there was something in the name suggestive of another dance of which he had heard and he was very unhappy he found the dean in munster court when he reached his own house the first word that his wife spoke to him was about the ball george papa is going with me on friday to mrs montacute jones's i hope he will like it said lord george i wish he would come why should i go i have already said that i would not as for the invitation that does not signify in the least do come just about twelve o'clock we've got up such a dance and i should like you to come and see it who is we well the parties are not quite arranged yet i think i'm to dance with count costi something depends on colors of dresses and other matters the gentlemen are all to be in some kind of uniform we have rehearsed it and in rehearsing we have done it all round one with the other why didn't you tell me before we weren't to tell till it was settled i mean to go and see it said the dean i delight in anything of that kind mary was so perfectly easy in the matter so free from doubt so disembarrassed that he was for the moment tranquillized she had said that she was to dance not with that pernicious captain but with a foreign count he did not like foreign counts but at the present moment he preferred any one to jack de baron he did not for a moment doubt her truth and she had been true though jack de baron and mrs houghton had been true also when mary had been last at mrs jones's house the matter had not been quite settled and in her absence jack had foolishly if not wrongly carried his point with the old lady it had been decided that the performers were to go through their work in the fashion that might best achieve the desired effect that they were not to dance exactly with whom they pleased but were to have their parts assigned them as actors on a stage jack no doubt had been led by his own private wishes in securing mary as his partner but of that contrivance on his part she had been ignorant when she gave her programme of the affair to her husband won't you come in and see it she said again i am not very fond of those things perhaps i may come in for a few minutes i am fond of them said the dean i think any innocent thing that makes life joyous and pretty is good that is rather begging the question said lord george as he left the room mary had not known what her husband meant by begging the question but the dean had of course understood him i hope he is not going to become ascetic he said i hope at least he will not insist that you should be so it is not his nature to be very gay she answered on the next day in the morning was the last rehearsal and then mary learned what was her destiny she regretted it but could not remonstrate jack's uniform was red the count's dress was blue and gold her dress was white and she was told that the white and red must go together there was nothing more to be said she could not plead that her husband was afraid of jack de baron nor certainly would she admit to herself that she was in the least afraid of him herself but for her husband's foolish jealousy she would infinitely have preferred the arrangement as now made just as a little girl prefers as a playmate a handsome boy whom she has long known to some ill-visaged stranger with whom she has never quarrelled and never again made friends but when she saw her husband she found herself unable to tell him of the change which had been made she was not actor enough to be able to mention jack de baron's name to him with tranquillity on the next morning the morning of the important day she heard casually from mrs jones that lord george had been at mrs houghton's house she had quite understood from her husband that he intended to see that evil woman again after the discovery and reading of the letter he had himself told her that he intended it 
and she, if she had not actually assented, had made no protest against his doing so. But that visit, represented as being one final necessary visit, had, she was well aware, been made some time since. She had not asked him what had taken place. She had been unwilling to show any doubt by such a question. The evil woman's name had never been on her tongue since the day on which the letter had been read. But now, when she heard that he was there again, so soon, as a friend joining in general conversation in the evil woman's house, the matter did touch her. Could it be that he was deceiving her after all, and that he loved the woman? Did he really like that helmet, that paint, and that affected laugh? And had he lied to her, deceived her with a premeditated story which must have been full of lies? She could hardly bring herself to believe this, and yet, why, why? Why should he be there? The visit of which he had spoken had been one intended to put an end to all close friendship, one in which he was to tell the woman that though the scandal of an outward quarrel might be avoided, he and she were to meet no more. And yet he was there. For aught she knew, he might be there every day. She did know that Mrs. Montacute Jones had found him there. Then he could come home to her and talk of the impropriety of dancing? He could do such things as this, and yet be angry with her because she liked the society of Captain de Baron? Certainly she would dance with Captain de Baron. Let him come and see her dancing with him. And then, if he dared to upbraid her, she would ask him why he continued his intimacy in Berkeley Square. In her anger she almost began to think that a quarrel was necessary. Was it not manifest that he was deceiving her about that woman? The more she thought of it, the more wretched she became but on that day she said nothing of it to him. They dined together, the dean dining with them. He was perturbed and gloomy, the dean having assured them that he did not mean to allow the Popenjoy question to rest. I stand in no awe of your brother, the dean had said to him. This angered Lord George, and he had refused to discuss the matter any further. At nine Lady George went up to dress, and at half-past ten she started with her father. At that time her husband had left the house and had said not a word further as to his intention of going to Mrs. Jones's house. "'Do you think he will come?' she said to the dean. "'Upon my word, I don't know. He seems to me to be in an ill humor with all the world. Don't quarrel with him, Papa. I do not mean to do so. I never mean to quarrel with anyone, and least of all with him. But I must do what I conceive to be my duty, whether he likes it or not.'" End of chapter 37